Hey folks, it's Jared. My guests today are Kristen Gunness and Bradley Martin, and we're going to discuss their paper for RAN on a possible coercive quarantine of Taiwan, what it might look like and its implications. This episode was edited and produced by Marie Williams. I'd like to pause here to highlight our local chapters, whether you're in South Korea, Egypt, Singapore, France, New York, India, or the Caribbean. Chances are there's a SimSec local chapter near you. You can find a full listing of local chapters and contact information on our website at simsec.org. So if you're interested, please reach out. Finally, I want to take the opportunity to recommend our partners in the SimSec Podcast Network, the Bilge Pumps. You can find Alex, Jamie, Drack, and a pot of iron brew bottles wherever you download your podcasts. With that, Kimber's men. You're listening to Sea Control, hosted by the Center for International Maritime Security. Aloha, shimmates, and welcome back aboard Sea Control. My guests today are Brad Martin and Kristen Gunness, and we'll be discussing their report for RAN entitled Implications of a Coercive Quarantine of Taiwan by the People's Republic of China. Co-authors include Paul DeLuca and Melissa Shostak. So, Brad, Kristen, welcome aboard. Uh, Kristen, could you start by introducing yourself to the listeners a little bit, please? I'm sure. Thank you for um, having me. M- my name is Kristen Gunnis. I am a senior um, policy researcher at the RAND Corporation, and my background is in Chinese military modernization, looking at trends in particular in the maritime domain. Um, but I also work on broader issues related to China's security and foreign affairs um, concerns relating to the, the Indo-Pacific region, as well as issues of escalation and deterrence. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, Brad, could you tell the listeners a little bit about your background, please? Sure. I'm Brad Martin. I am a senior policy analyst at RAN. I've been here for 10 years. I'm also the director of the Supply Chain Security Research Institute, I am a retired Navy captain, and I served in the Navy for 30 years. I have a doctorate in political science from the University of Michigan, which I got before I joined the Navy. There's a story there which isn't very interesting. Well, thanks, Brad. Uh, As a reminder to the listeners, all opinions are our own and not representative of any institution with which we might be otherwise associated. Brad, I'm going to start with you. So why are you using quarantine in this instance, and is there a substantive difference in this case between quarantine and a blockade? That's an excellent question. Quarantine implies that a nation already has sovereignty over the area that it's attempting to influence. And in this case, what we were talking about is China attempting to exercise sovereignty over Taiwan and really treating Taiwan as being a uh, a province as opposed to a uh, another country. Blockade implies that you're in, in the context of a usually of a wartime scenario, the country is another country is trying to keep goods from flowing into another. Here, China is not asserting that. China is saying we have a perfect right to exercise the flow of commerce in and out of Taiwan, and we're doing that in a way that we choose. One thing that does do is it gives them a lot of flexibility as far as what they might choose to allow to flow. And Kristen will talk more about how China views this, but the fundamental thing is that this is a way to allow China to uh, exert authority, to exert sovereignty, and do it in a way that is consistent with it, it being the power that already controls the area. And it, it remains for everybody else to challenge it. So, Kristen, how do you believe the PRC would implement a quarantine and 
do you believe it's possible to do so without it immediately becoming a shooting war? And then for the listeners, I'm just going to timestamp this. We're recording this on Sunday, 31 July. So there's been any developments uh, that are happening since this recording. That's why we're not talking about. So Kristen, please. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, to um, piggyback on Brad's comments, the, the goal from China's perspective of a quarantine would be to demonstrate de facto sovereignty by controlling the air and maritime space around the island, as well as looking, you know, being able to control which, which deliveries, imports, ships, aircraft, and people might have access to Taiwan without having to resort to high-level force right from the get-go. So China would likely see a quarantine as a potentially lower cost or lower risk means of coercing Taipei than an outright invasion um, because it exploits Taiwan's economic vulnerability, but it also puts the pressure on the United States and our allies to figure out how to respond. So while avoiding a direct military confrontation, this type of quarantine in Beijing's mind could offer a way through which China can assert sovereignty around Taiwan without starting immediately at high levels of force, as it would with any of the PLA's wartime uh, campaigns. So it would allow it to show resolve and establish a precedent of imposing its will, but would not necessarily provoke the United States into reacting the same way as if Taiwan had been directly attacked. So to implement the quarantine, um, these are all potential steps, obviously, but China might potentially first establish uh, maritime and airspace control around Taiwan. And to do this, it would likely start by declaring uh, something like an economic, exclusive economic zone or EEZ around Taiwan, and it, as it has tried to do around disputed areas um, in the South China Sea, for example. Um, the Chinese Coast Guard would enforce the EEZ through things like patrols and interdiction and then stop and search of ships um, entering into the maritime space around Taiwan and, and the Taiwan Strait. And in addition to that, the Air Force, the PLA Air Force, would also conduct patrols in the airspace around Taiwan uh, in order to screen aircraft attempting to reach the, the island, uh, intercept them, and potentially divert them to you know, an airport in mainland China for screening or some other place for, for screening. Um, and then those ships and aircraft that were interdicted would either be let through, depending on you know, what they are carrying their cargo and, and where they came from, or turned around and uh, prevented from reaching Taiwan altogether. And then simultaneously, because China is trying to really maintain control over the air and maritime space around, around Taiwan, it would, uh, China would potentially conduct large-scale maritime and air operations uh, to really establish this uh, baseline de facto presence in the area, and also as a, as a signal to deter Taiwan, uh, the United States, and, uh, and other responses. Um, so some, some examples of this is, you know, the Chinese Coast Guard would probably frequently patrol the, the area around Taiwan, as well as China would likely uh, send in the People's Armed Forces Maritime Militia, which we've uh, seen, seen them do. Uh, they, they adopt uh, swarming tactics similar to those used around the Senkaku Islands that they've done before, as well as in the South China Sea, to basically um, further obstruct the passage of, of ships um, and again, you know, the point of this is to really demonstrate de facto sovereignty over the air and maritime space and also to apply coercive pressure on Taipei in a way that's not a kinetic military operation. Now, the challenge comes in if Taiwan or the United States or allies challenge the quarantine, um, then the Chinese Coast Guard and the People's Armed Forces Maritime Militia might, might start using things like ramming and obstruction actions, which we've also seen them do before to harass incoming ships, um, and they could also potentially do things like fire warning shots um, to ships attempting to break through. 
In addition to that, I just wanted to mention that China would also probably use some non-conventional capabilities. Um, so they would probably also use things like cyber attacks, EW jamming, things that they we've seen them you know potentially use or, or discuss using um, in a, in a situation like this, as well as um, potentially things like UAVs to conduct surveillance. Um, so I just wanted to mention that they they would also use those non-conventional capabilities. Absolutely. Uh, what difficulties would China face imposing a quarantine? So I think in terms of the challenges, the first is the obvious one, and I know we'll talk more about this, on, on how to avoid the type of escalation that China presumably wants to avoid by pursuing a quarantine rather than something like an invasion or a joint blockade scenario. You know, a quarantine ends up, as Brad will, Brad will discuss later, I think, a quarantine will ends up not necessarily being a less escalatory option. Um, because to really have an effective response, the U.S. would have to uh, apply direct pressure fairly quickly or risk Taiwan being um, economically strangled. So that, that's one challenge is sort of how to control the escalation. And, and it's dangerous because from Beijing's perspective, uh, again, it puts, the, it, it puts the onus on the United States and, and allies in terms of how to respond and not escalate it. Uh, so it's a little bit of a game of chicken. Another challenge is that uh, a quarantine like this would require a large number of Chinese forces to sustain um, paramilitary and military forces both. So the, the Chinese Coast Guard is, is very large, <laughs> but uh, they would likely need most of those ships as well as a large number of uh, PLA uh, aircraft, Air Force aircraft to enact a quarantine and to uh, truly be able to control that air and maritime space around Taiwan and to maintain it over a, a longer period of time. So it really would be quite resource intensive for them. And then in addition to the resources for the quarantine, the PLA would also likely be increasing readiness uh, in, in case of escalation and potentially need to, the need to mobilize quickly. So we would potentially you know, see some of that movement going on as well. It's important to make China understand that this is not a low-cost option. This is something that they're going to have to devote a lot of resources to. So to build on what Kristen was saying, it might look like it's just an assertion of sovereignty, but if other countries, you know, or in Taiwan don't agree, then China is immediately faced with a situation where it's, there's a, a lot of military force might be required. The actor that we haven't really talked about here, though, is Taiwan from an escalation perspective, because uh, the moment that something like this would be imposed on them, my assumption, and it is an assumption, is that they would view that as existential threat well, to them. So how an, go ahead. It's an interesting question. And we actually just did a uh, tabletop exercise, which I can't give you all the details about right now. But we looked at what might happen if this were to occur. And Taiwan, there's a couple of different things Taiwan could do. Taiwan could just say, well, all right, we, we agree. This is just something that uh, we have to live with. And if that were to occur, there's a lot of implications for the United States, which it would have to work through as, as far as uh, you know, access to semiconductors. Primarily, the big thing with Taiwan is you know, the economic thing we'd, we'd be dealing with would be semiconductors. But if Taiwan were to resist, one thing that would become a real problem is that immediately – Taiwan becomes very vulnerable because it really relies on trade to exist. China is actually relatively able to absorb disruption 
the the United States and and the, the Western world the, and, it, and its allies would have to face a situation where the disruption of exports from Taiwan and China would have an almost immediate effect on on uh, on economies. So we could very rapidly end up in a situation where we're either, to be blunt, throwing Taiwan under the bus or capitulating to Chinese demands. So Taiwan's response is going to be critical, but in a couple of ways, they've made themselves very vulnerable by occupying such a monopoly position for, for semiconductors. Because on the one hand, that does make them critical to the rest of the world. On the other hand, it makes them a very attractive target for China. Kristen, anything to add on that before I transition to the next question? Yeah, I would, I would say I, I agree with Brad. I think um, Taiwan's response would also be uh, calibrated to what a potential U.S. response would be also. And, and, and I mean, they would, you know, because they, they really are in the position of uh, if they challenge the quarantine, you know, if they send their own um, ships out to, to challenge the quarantine or something like that, it, it does risk escalating into something uh, that they don't want it to escalate in either. I mean, they don't want to get invaded either. So, <laughs> so I think I think there would be very close consultation with the United States um, in terms of what type of response to have. And uh, I know, I think Brad can talk a little more about the U.S. response and, and what that might be. So good transition to the next question then. So if the U.S. and its partners and allies were to respond in the same way that they've responded in Ukraine, uh, most notably with a heavy sanctions regime, what additional difficulties are they facing? Well, sanctions against China are almost useless. There's very little that we're going to be able to do to China that will cause them to change their behavior very much. If, and if they expect a sanctions regime, they will do things to get around that. One of the points of the report is that Taiwan is very vulnerable to Chinese pressure, but China is not particularly vulnerable to anybody else's pressure. So we would be rapidly transitioning into a potential military confrontation, which is something we really, nobody wants. China doesn't want it. We don't want it. What we would likely see if this were to start to escalate is the United States would probably have to start thinking about how it's going to resupply Taiwan, which could be very challenging. It's also going to have to think about how much it really values relationship. Now, when I say that, I don't mean to imply that the United States is going to abandon it. I do mean to imply that I don't think that the United States has exactly understood how precarious the situation might become. I think on the converse side of that, it's really important to make a, make the point with China that this is not a low-cost option. By doing this, it immediately forces some existential choices by, by Taiwan, by the United States, and by everybody else that may drive it to a level of escalation that it didn't anticipate. That is a really a a, uh, a position of mutual misunderstanding is a bad place to be. That's how you get wars nobody wants started. And then what are your recommendations for the U.S. to first avoid this scenario and then second to prevail should this scenario occur? Well, 
avoiding this scenario involves first convincing China that the U.S. would view such an assertion as being tantamount to a blockade. What it would amount to is the United States saying, if you attempt to assert sovereignty over Taiwan by any particular mechanism, we view this as being a unwarranted assertion of control over Taiwan that we've said all along that we don't think is a uh, is valid. Doesn't mean that you can't work this thing out. You know, if China and Taiwan work something out, that's a, a different matter. But if it's a case of China using this to force Taiwan to do something, we view that as being wrong and we would react. And I think it should be made very clear to, to China and to Taiwan that we would react to that type of action. So that's one thing that has to happen. A second thing that would have to happen is that the U.S. would have to have some credible plan for resupplying Taiwan in the event of something like this occurring. So it have to be made very clear to China and to Taiwan that if this were imposed, the United States would continue to ensure that Taiwan gets food, gets energy, gets all the essentials of life. And I guess a, a third and longer term thing is that the reliance on Taiwan, on the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company for the export of high-end semiconductor chips and so forth, that's an understandable thing, but it needs to be that supply chain has to be diversified. Uh, there has to be uh, production done in, in other places to include the United States and U.S. allies and and so forth to, to make sure that the United States doesn't have to face a, a challenge that says I'm going to deal with depression or, or abandoning an ally. If a quarantine were imposed and the United States were able to say, well, we're able to resupply ourselves with chips a lot of different places, so Taiwan, however long you want to resist this is your decision. I think if that were the the, the decision process, that, that would be a much easier thing, uh, a much less escalatory situation than what we have now. Kristen, any final thoughts on either of those two questions before we uh, close out? Well, I just, so I, yeah, I, I think it speaks to the broader, in terms of how the United States and allies can react to something like that, it speaks to the broader issue of how to counter China's, you know, what what we call gray zone operations. And so, um, China and the PLA have really, over the last 15 years, worked very hard to develop a range of what they would consider lower escalatory options um, for how to respond to, to various security challenges. And I think Brad's point about really conveying to China that something like this is not necessarily low, low risk and low escalatory is a very important point. Um, but I think the United States doesn't always have I don't want to say ability to respond because that's not that's not the case. But we don't have we haven't necessarily cracked the nut on how to respond to these types of gray zone operations in a way that isn't escalatory. Um, and I think a lot of the things that we're doing in the region with um, with our allies, you know, the AUKUS, um, the Quad, getting allies and partners together to to send that signal of deterrence is a really good thing, and it needs to be uh, continued. But uh, but just, just, I just wanted to, to hammer the point that Brad made that, that, that this is not necessarily less escalatory option and the gray zone operations are, are hard to respond to. Yeah. Trying to orient U.S. force structure such that it's able to do 
low end stuff, I think it's an important thing to, to think about. But it's not really the case that, that we would be able to counter this by saying, well, we're going to escort ships into port or stuff like that. And we need, you know, other, you know, we need forces to do that. Once the escalation starts, it's going to go very high order very quickly. And I think that China understanding that is really a key part to this not becoming a, uh, uh, a, 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 an entree into war. The, the building of, of, uh, rungs in the ladder, which we, we typically would like to do for escalation, can't just be a matter of U.S. force structure. It has to be a matter of conveying to China that this is dangerous. Well, unfortunately, that's all that we have time for today. I'd like to thank my guests, Brad Martin and Kristen Gunnis. Um, Kristen, we'll start with you. Where can we find you online and what are you working on next? Um, so you can find me online on the RAND website at, at RAND.org. And uh, I'm working on um, several studies right now, as, as I said before, related to escalation and deterrence in the Indo-Pacific region and in U.S. force posture options. And Brad, how about you? Where can we find you and what's your next project? Well, I'm on a lot of different projects, and they're all of having to do with supply chains. We have a website, National Defense Research Institute Supply Chain Institute, which has got a bunch of articles on it that have to do with supply chain security, which I would uh, ask people or would encourage people to go take a look at because we've got a lot of different things on there. We will be completing uh, out brief for the TTX, a tabletop exercise I talked about, and I would hope that people would be able to look at that once we publish it, because I think that really has a lot of uh, interesting information about how this type of uh, economic warfare takes place. Absolutely. So uh, once you publish the TTX out brief, uh, would love to have you and uh, some of the other participants come on to, to talk about what was published and then anything didn't maybe get into publication that you want to speak to uh, happy to discuss that as well. And then uh, I'll correspond with you offline and get the, uh, the website for the national F- defense research Institute supply chain Institute as well. And we'll include that in the show notes. So listeners can go in there and take a look at, uh, at the work that you've done, but thank you thank both you. for coming on today and uh, to the listeners. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us.